Let us pray. Our precious Father, we thank you for the privilege we have tonight to study the scriptures. We trust you with it, that you will teach us and give us understanding, insight into your marvelous truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're back to studying the book of Ephesians. We broke off for two weeks because we had prayers and we had uh, we had uh, ROG week. So we continue in chapter four, uh, part two. I'm going to quote some things from Enduring World website. Some of the things I'm going to quote will come from there, but not a lot, but some of them. So let's see the introduction here on where we stopped and where we're heading. We saw in the previous verses, we read that the offices of the church are not human institutions, but divine institutions as God appointed people to these offices as he wills. And no man takes this honor unto himself. God, in furthering the unity of the body of Christ, instituted these offices to build up the believer to full spiritual maturity of the life of Christ and grounded, grounding them in what Paul called our common faith in his letter to his son Titus. In Titus 1.4, to Titus, my own son, after the common faith. So he called it common faith, the faith that binds all of us together. Believers are to be united around this faith in Christ. He called it the unity of faith. Without unity of faith, the unity of the body can be threatened by believers not understanding that our faith in Christ is what binds us together, is what brought us into this body, nothing else. It is through this faith in Christ alone we all became members of his body, the body of Christ. This truth being taught to believers creates a unity of faith among them and keeps the believers united in their diversity of color, culture, language, also in the inevitable offenses that will always arise among them. Also in their being at, even though there are different stages of understanding so, uh, uh, the, the truths of the Bible, but because they know this one fact, that faith in Christ is what made us members of the body, they can still fellowship. You can't find fellowship where everybody agrees with every, the same thing. But you can still fellowship because it is the faith in Christ that made us part of his body. And since we are part of the same body, we are united in him. So this unity of faith is very, very crucial, very, very important that we understand it. So we don't identify Christians from their groups, their color, their this, but we identify them by faith in Christ. If they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they become part of you. It doesn't matter whether they speak, in, speak uh, Spanish, speak English, speak whatever, whether they dance, speak, they, they, their worship is this language. It, it makes no difference. We cannot lay any other foundation of faith except that which already is laid, who is Christ. Our foundation of faith is Christ and nothing else. 1 Corinthians 3, 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is, is laid, which is Jesus Christ himself. 
And Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Our faith has an author. Christ initiates it. Without Christ, we don't have object of it. He's the object of faith. So it's a common faith that our faith in Christ is what brings us together and makes us one in him. Now let's see the purpose of these offices that the Lord appointed in the church. In verses 12 to 16. For equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the defining of the body of Christ, Till we all come to the unity of the faith, we all understand this unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So you can see, actually here we see the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to disciple people to maturity, to full stature of Christ. So if a church is not teaching it's not really discipling people. It's not fulfilling its function. It's not a place to come and just dance and praise worship and receive miracles and go. No, there has to be the serious discipleship programs that brings a, a Christian to full maturity so in character and everything. He's like, he's, the Christ that he has in him shows outside. So, it is to build up the believer to maturity in the faith that is in Christ through the knowledge of Christ. Again, to equip the believer for service in the kingdom of God. Every believer has to be equipped to serve. There is no dependency here. There is nothing like sitting idle. Every believer ought to be equipped to serve in the kingdom. For the work of the ministry, training the believer in how to serve the body of Christ, both by example and by words. Now we see that the Spirit of God is not too concerned with the structural and organizational unity. So he never, he never said, hey, this is how I want my church to be like a congregational type of government or episcopal type. He never told us anything like that. Which means that's not really, it's not saying everybody must be Episcopal type of church or a congregational type of church. He didn't concern a lot about that. This is the unity he's talking about. It's not organizational unity. So that, it look, all the church must look like this. It's not what he's talking about. So let us understand it very, very well. But what he's talking about is a spiritual unity around the common faith. That whether you're Episcopal or whether you're, you're, your organizational structure is Episcopal, Congregational, whatever it is, you are simply joined to Christ. Not because of that, you are joined to Christ because of faith in him. Called it common faith. So the scripture is not really concerned about all the structures and organizational patterns of any church. It's only concerned about the character and spiritual maturity of a church leader. Leaders who can be example in faith, Example in love, example in everything else. Leaders that must be honest, that have honest report, full of the spirit, matured and not novices. Believers who are tested and proven, faithful and able to teach. We can read that in Titus 1, 5 to 9, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 13. The Lord is really concerned with believers being taught 
about Jesus Christ, to bring them to mature in their faith in him and their life of love. You know, he said to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Tend to them. Tend to them. Take care of them. Don't let them famish. He's more concerned about that than whether you're Episcopal or, you know, congregational and all of that. I know sometimes people go and break their heads in those things. So, now, the means of bringing the believer to maturity, we see it in verse 13, where we read. It says, till we all come to the unity of faith and to understand this common faith that brings us together and of the knowledge, this and of the knowledge of the Son of God, the perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, we need the knowledge of the Son of God. We need the knowledge of the Son of God. Teaching them the knowledge of Christ Jesus, not the knowledge of the laws of Moses. And unfortunately, many good, well-meaning, wonderful congregations, they focus on laws. And you go to church and in a whole year, you will not hear any teaching on Christ. You will hear it. But they hear more of the devil, hear more of what you need to do and how many fast things you need to do and all that kind of thing. It's no, there is no purposeful, uh, intended focus on Christ. And he said, they must come to the knowledge of Christ. Not the knowledge of all these other things. As important as they are, all of them are important, but the main focus is the knowledge of Christ. So it's unfortunate, it's to be regretted that we violate what the Holy Spirit said the church should be doing and the means of feeding them. And we're feeding them. You know, when, you, when we preach what the devil likes, and even the heathens clap for it. They don't change, they don't come, nothing. They clap and they enjoy it. Something is wrong. Something is definitely wrong. Now, let's look at what this teaching the law does. Teaching the law as, you know, the people think when you teach the law, you make them holy so they don't commit sin. It's, all, it's, not, it's not true. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no scripture in the Bible that confirms that. It's in the human mind. Absolutely not true. Actually, the scripture says the opposite. How can you teach the law to make people mature in faith in Christ? Is, this, is Christ the law? How can my faith mature in Christ when I don't know him? And the laws you are teaching me is not Jesus. How, how does my faith grow in Christ when I'm ignorant of it? Is it possible? And to make people live holy and teaching them laws is impossible too. Read Bible. Oh, we don't preach sin here. We don't. <laughs> I'll show you scriptures why. We don't. And we're not going to. Yeah, teaching Christian morals and principles is very important. But they in themselves do not make us bear fruit. Only Christ Jesus can make you bear fruit. Only Jesus. Without him, we can do nothing. Only him can produce his life in us. 
Only him, people. Only Jesus. Only. Our faith is not in the laws of Moses. It's not the foundation that God laid for his church. Christ is that foundation. You see, the, the church has one foundation. Look at Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, not the knowledge of God, not the knowledge of Jesus. And if no flesh shall be justified before God by what you are teaching people, what use is it? You, and then we add all these denominational laws. Okay, like I said, we should have principles that guide us. We cannot be people who have no principles. No, we should have boundaries and things. But those things are not what produce the life of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 56. Say the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So when you teach people laws and do's and don'ts, you strengthen sin in their life. Who says so? The Holy Spirit. Read it. The strength of sin is the law. It strengthens sin. Any Christian who focuses on laws, on do's and don'ts, is going to strengthen sin in his or her life. Because what you focus on is what you become. You read about Jacob and see, and see, and see that example. What you look at magnifies in your life and influences you. And what you look at is what you take into your heart and as a man thinks, so he is. Those laws cannot save you. They have no power to produce the life of Christ. It's a dead end. The Bible said that God gave it side by side with the promise to reveal to us that we're a bunch of sinners. And we see us, we see this law, you see, you're flunking it. He said that's the reason he gave us this law. And that's what we read there. By the law is the knowledge of sin. He reviews. He said, I wouldn't have known sin except the Lord said, thou shalt not do this, that. If, if, it, if the Lord didn't come, we wouldn't know that telling lies is sin. It's the Lord that said, thou shalt not lie, that. So that's all the Lord does. He has no life in himself, cannot save anybody, nothing. So if all, if that's all, oh, a Christian must not do this, a Christian, it, it's because you don't know Christ. Again, like I said, we should teach people moral principles, guidelines, you know, and have boundaries. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that is all we're doing, we, we end up in the dead end. For without Christ, we can do nothing. Matthew 23, 26. Let's look at people who lived, who taught the law. They taught this law. They lived under it. They, they carried it in their, on their head. The, everywhere. See what it produced in them. Can we learn from this? Matthew 23, 26. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Because the law cannot change your spirit, cannot change the old man, the sinful nature you have. Jesus said, you, that's where you start. If you don't change that thing, your outside will not be clean. 
27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto white sepulchre, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones. There is no life in you. That's what he's telling them. You don't have life. And I came to give you that life. That's what he's telling them. You don't have life. You don't have the life. How can you live what you don't have? Dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. That's it. Only Jesus can give life. Only Jesus can cleanse the inside and take the old man crucified and give you new life. Only Jesus. And then look at Romans 8.3. For what the law could not do. You see, there's something he couldn't do. He couldn't change man. He couldn't change nobody. But that's what we preach in most churches. That's what we preach in most, even some churches, even, don't even preach anything. It seems, I was, what, so I was, I don't know how I started. Okay, I won't tell this story. For what the law could not do, in that it, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And because of sin, he came to deal with sin. Jesus came to deal with sin. And in dealing with sin, he disarmed the devil, dislodged them, and defeated them. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, he dealt with, the, he dealt with sin in the flesh. Because the power you have now, and because it's your power, you can put your flesh where it belongs. You can say no and control it. Without Christ before, you couldn't. You know, we don't even understand the state of, okay, we'll get there. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. How do you walk after the spirit? You walk after the word of God. Jesus said, this word I speak is spirit. When you walk after the word, you live in the word. You believe the word. He says, teach them Christ to know me. When you teach that, you are walking after the spirit. You are walking. You are introducing people to the arm of the Lord. But when you t- keep teaching all these laws, you keep teaching people the arm of the flesh. They will, they will, they will fall. I'm not saying they can't produce outward thing that appears like holy, but inside. You know, in church, every Sunday, everybody dresses like holy. Everybody, except those who insult us, but everybody dresses holy. But the knowledge of Christ is what sets us free from power of sin and sets us on the path to living the life that God planned for us to live before we fell. Christ is the answer. Romans 6 says, we know that our old sinful self, we are crucified with Christ. That's the answer. So that sin might lose its power in our lives. That's how it happened. It didn't happen by a Christian does not do this, a Christian does not do that, and give all these laws and laws and laws and laws. And nobody even obeys them. 
We know that our own sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. That's how it happened. This is what you should believe. That's why we teach about Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer. No longer. For when we die with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Did you hear that? These are the things you should know in Christ and believe and grow in them and be grounded in them and it works in your life and your life becomes an example. It's like a, a living Christ. You become his life. Shows for him. And since we died with Christ, we know also that we also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. And so death has no power over you either. Because you live with him. He said, Pastor, people die. Yeah, Jesus said, even if you die, you live. The grave can't hold you. You are joined to Christ. One spirit, how can the grave hold you when you have Christ in your spirit? The flesh will die, the flesh of sin, but your spirit will go to, have, go to God. Can't die. Death is separation from God. You can't be separated from God because you're already joined to Christ, become one spirit with him. Already, as long as your faith is in Christ Jesus. And it's because of this joining that you're able to live that life. That Christ lives through you and produces his character. It's not by effort. It's by faith. Paul said, I live by faith in him. It's no longer I, but him that liveth. That's how I walk. It's not about all these laws. Look, if you are controlled by the Spirit of God, you don't really need laws. Because the Spirit of God cannot lead you into iniquity. He will lead you into the perfect will of God already. That's why the Bible said, if you are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law anymore. Verse 10. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture says. Walking by the Spirit, not by flesh. Walking the Spirit. 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desire because now it's no more your, it's no more your master. You have a say. The Bible said before we were slaves of sin. And now, no, we are slaves of Christ. We are slaves of righteousness. Our nature is a righteous nature. By nature, we do righteous things. I've said it over and over. A Christian needs to make effort to continue sinning. You need to make effort to do that. It's like make, you're a human being. You, 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 you start behaving like an animal. You need to make effort to do that. I don't see make effort, but I mean continue sin. You've got to make effort. Because it's not your nature. So our spiritual growth is the growth in our understanding of the new birth. You cannot grow spiritually when you don't understand the new birth. Let me say it again. You will not, cannot make spiritual progress when you don't understand salvation. You don't understand the new birth. And many don't. You say, are you saved? Yeah. How? 
the tale, all the things I used to do, I stopped it. I don't know how people say these things like this. Every religion is teaching character, character management. Every religion teaching, you, know, you don't have to be a Christian to, to change some things you are doing. So if you don't know what salvation is, how did you get saved? Which means possibly you are not really saved. That was why last year the Lord said to me, make it the team for this church for the year. Teach salvation the whole year. They don't know it. Charles Wesley said he came to realize that many Christians who sit in church are not saved. And many are called, but few are chosen. You must understand the new birth. Understand your privileges in Christ. You must know who you are in Christ, who he is to you. You must understand the things that he says are yours and the things he says you can do. You have to. That's why the knowledge of Christ is key. Because when you study him, the truth is in him. You find all these things in knowing him. You see, we all start as newborn babes when we come to Christ. Not knowing much. First Peter 2.2. 2, as newborn babes, desire the sincere make of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. When you taste the grace of God that is in Christ, when you have tasted what he did for you out of his grace, realize what he did for you, you will know he's good. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. When you taste, it's not tasting with this. Taste is experience. The grace of God in Christ Jesus. The reality of your salvation. The power that walketh in you. You grow as you taste, as you experience these things. You grow as you experience them. But you experience them as you study them. Second Thessalonians 1 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is made, because that your faith grew exceedingly, and the charity of each one of you all towards each other abounded. See, their love grows, their faith grows. As we experience the grace of God, you find that the Lord is gracious, merciful. Acts 20, 32. And so now I entrust you into God's hands and the message of his grace. Message of his grace. Saved by grace through faith. Message of his grace. What he did for you, the position he gave to you, who he is to you, your new identity. All of this is what he did for He didn't do it. He did all of this as well. What the blood did, the atonement through the blood of Jesus. You must, must be familiar with these truths. All the works of grace are for us. All of them. Message of his grace, which, which is all you need to become strong. All of God's blessings are imparted through the message of his grace. All of them. Because it Christ brought us blessings. The Bible says it is from uh, uh, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. All the blessings of heaven. He says, 
message of his grace, which he provides as the spiritual inheritance given to all of his holy ones, all of us. It's called the riches of Christ, our spiritual inheritance. For example, we have his love nature, and so we can love like he loves. Romans 5, 5, and this hope will not lead to a disappointment, for we know. Again, the word we know keeps coming. I mean, as we, as we go down, you see where Paul repeated this in our learning about Christ. For we know how dearly God loves us. Do you know that? Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Do you know that? Do you know how dearly God loves you? Taste his graciousness. Taste his mercy, his unmerited favors. If you taste them, if you experience them, you grow, you grow, you grow, you grow. Experience is the best teacher. You grow, you grow. And this love is needed to keep the unity of the spirit and the unity of faith. Because the love is the bond of perfectness that puts us together. That makes you forgive. Because obviously there's going to be disagreements among believers. But love makes you forgive. It makes you keep that. Because the, this, the Holy Spirit says we should maintain that unity. It's our job to maintain that unity. It's our job. Now, in verse 14, it says we, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the coining craftiness of deceitful plotting. Now we're talking about what is rampant in these last days where the Holy Spirit said expressly that in the last days there will be doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons has one foundational truth. I want you to listen to me. The foundational truth is what he did to Adam and Eve is what he's still doing today. He went to Adam and Eve and told them to be independent of God. He said, has God said this? They say, I said, don't do that. Do your own. Be independent of him. He took off their faith in God and placed it on themselves. He hasn't changed that method up to today. He's doing it. He hasn't changed it. Salvation through self-work. You know, everything through self-work. He's still doing it today. And Bible says, oh, don't lean on to your own understanding because the devil will try to disconnect you with in all your ways, rely on him and put it. He said, don't, don't rely on him. Do your own, my friend. <laughs> it hasn't changed. That's the basic, basic structure of demonic doctrine. Disconnects you from trust in Christ. Trust his word. He said, has God said Disconnects you from confidence in what God has said to what you think and what, what is good in your own eyes, religious stuff, rituals, and stuff like that. And you put your faith in junk. Because he knows that that is sinking sand. He understands that this, thing can, this is not the foundation God laid, that this faith is going to sink. Now, when he puts it there, long enough, he hit you with something, you wouldn't know where you are. So we shouldn't be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men 
in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. When you see, again, listen to me. When you see miracles that does not glorify Christ, that's not the Holy Spirit. Miracles that is not by faith in Christ, that does not glorify Christ, it's not the Holy Spirit. Because he came to glorify Jesus. You see, miracles that people do miracles for you, and they didn't mention no Jesus, no prayer, nothing. Not, no Jesus. It's not, they're not exalting Jesus. Give him all the glory. No scriptures, nothing. You don't even, even Jesus could not heal them because of, they didn't have faith. But this one, once you do, they do something, you have miracle. They do something, you have miracle. It doesn't require faith. It doesn't require Jesus. That's the devil. That's the devil. Yep. And then he glorified the person. Because you go talking about him, yeah, this person and this person. This person. When you see anybody that says, I do a miracle for you, whether you have faith or not, run for your life. The Bible said, Jesus could there do no mighty work because of their unbelief. It's that it's Jesus that does the, the real deal. That was the real deal. And so, supposed, this maturity is supposed to counter this deceit. And then let's look at this false teaching, what it does. Like I said, it, it, it takes your faith off of God and puts it on yourself. The, the false teachers diminish Christ in their teachings and they exalt the work of man. Exactly what the devil did to Adam and Eve. God said, don't do this. I said, God, God said it. Don't, look, don't listen to him. You do this. Do your own. Now, so they diminish the work of Christ. And what God said, that this is work of grace. You are saved by grace, by works. The devil said, no. <laughs> no. You are saved by your works. Don't listen to that. That in this or deed is not enough. So they bring this teaching that, that exhausts the works of men. They emphasize earning your acceptance before God by what you do. Instead of what Christ did for you. For what God did for you. Again, have God said, the devil said, don't, don't mind, don't mind. You have to do this to be saved too. Okay, add both of them. So there are things that you must do to, to now qualify to be saved. You have to confess your sin. You have to repent of it. You have to do restitution. You have to do, when, when you finish they now ask Jesus to now and say, this man is now ready to be saved. They now pray to him to accept you. Because they are the ones that are the big guys. What can you talk? No, no. They have to pray and plead with Jesus to accept you. Because now you have cleaned up. And now you are ready for their brand of salvation. You are now ready. You have done these things that made you clean. How can you be saved when you haven't confessed your sins? When you have not repented of your sins? You have not done this, done that. You are not clean enough. No, 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 no. You are not clean enough. You must do that and clean up. And then you come to Jesus and we now tell him, okay, he has qualified. You can now save him. <laughs> People teach this junk. It's not by grace anymore. Jesus said, I came. For those who are sick, bring them to me. I came to save the lost. I want them. 
He didn't say, I came to save those who have found their way back. No. They lost. They want them. So their brand of salvation is of works, not of grace. It is not received by faith, but earned by works. So after you have cleaned up yourself, they now come and pray for you and ask God to, to now forgive you. You know, they, they now go and beg God, beg God to forgive this sinner who has, you know, done restitution, see how bad it is. Then they beg God to now accept you, okay? So you are saved. They laugh. You are not saved anything. That's not God's brand of salvation. Because you are saved by grace. Not of yourself. It's a free gift of God. And the scripture cannot be broken. It is false doctrine. Now here are some of the points they use. We need to deal with this. Because we are talking about, you know, because this is rampant. So here are some of the points they use. They said, now, Zacchaeus, for an example, made restitution. That, that, this what, I used to preach this to you when I was being done. We use Zacchaeus. Now let me read about Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. He was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was. And could not for the praise because he was little of stature. And he ran before, climbed up on into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down for today. I must abide. I'm not visiting. I want to stay in your house. I must abide at your house. I want to stay. I'm not popping in and popping out. And he made this and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he, he was gone to be guest. See, he didn't go to visit, he wanted to stay. Guest with a man that is a sinner. He hasn't cleaned up. So why did you go there, Jesus? Then Zacchaeus wanted to clean up. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, because he felt so, so guilty. If, this kind of love. Because people say it's, it's not worthy. Jesus went and said, I love you. I want to stay with you. I want to, I'm not coming to you, Pharisees. This is the one I'm going to. Because he's seeking me. Climbing tree. To, 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 he's seeking, he wants me. So I'm going there. But you, Pharisees, you don't want me. You want to condemn me. Follow me around. Father, for, this one is seeking me. He that seek it, find it. I'm going there. Say, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come to this earth. And they say, you see? Read it. He did restitution before he saved. Why don't you read your Bible well? Can you talk of salvation without blood of Jesus? Has Jesus gone to the cross? What are you talking about? 
So you are saying, you are telling people that salvation is available without the cross. That is demonic. For without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Has the blood been shed yet? And people preach this thing. He used the word salvation. And then he continued, listen. Salvation comes to this as for as much. He gave reason what was happening here. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Listen, Zacchaeus was part of Abrahamic covenant of the Old Testament. God had a covenant with them. And that covenant was still in place. And Jesus said, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. We say the disciples will tell them not to go to the Gentiles, go to the Jews. Jews. This is what prompted the, 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 the story about the prodigal son. Because they were complaining that Jesus was accepting all these Jews. And he gave that thing to, to the Jews. Because he said, look, God has covenant with you people now. But you... You, you left your covenant and you went away from God. Because the prodigal son was a son. He was part of the family. And God said, Israel is my first son. He said to Pharaoh, you taught my first son, I finished your own. Israel was his first son, not, because, not spiritual, because physically in the sense that they were the first people he had covenant with. The first he had covenant with. So he called them my son, but not, not like Jesus. Not like Jesus. Because that was carnal ordinances and physical things and shadow of the real son that will come. So he said, I was sent to the Lordship of Israel to go and bring them back. So when this one came back, he said, yeah, one of them is back. Because he also a son of Abraham. We Gentiles were not until he died and gave us salvation. That's how we became sons of Abraham too. Before, at this point, we were not. We were without Christ, without hope in this world. If this is salvation, we are finished, all of us. Matthew 15, 24. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was operating here under the Old Testament. Look at eight, Hebrew 8, 7. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would, not, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. Verse 8. But when God found fault with the people he said, the day is coming, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. That's the covenant that the Bible said that Jesus mediated with his blood. This covenant didn't come in place until Jesus died. Until he shed his blood. He mediated it with his blood because his blood was the atoning sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. That was when... And when he, when he died, and they started that the Old Testament came to screeching hot. Verse 13, Hebrew 8, 13. And when God speaks of a new covenant, 
he means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. It will soon disappear. It will soon disappear. Now look at when he disappeared. Matthew 20, 27, 50. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit, which means died. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was turning too. From top to bottom, the ashu crock split apart. What happened here? The ministry of the high priest was over. The Old Testament came to screeching halt. The Bible says when, when a new a testament comes into force, there's a need for appointment of a new priest. And Jesus is the high priest of this new testament. Without cutting, poem, torn, you couldn't even patch it. What God is signifying is that the Old Testament priesthood, the Old Testament Moses law, and Moses ministry has ended. We don't need the blood of animals anymore. There's a blood that's been shed on the, on the cross that that atones for the sin of the whole world. And salvation was extended to Gentiles now. Jews and Gentiles, the Bible says we now come and become one in Christ through faith. You can't tell somebody that well, somebody is saved at the time of Zacchaeus when Jesus had not died. What kind of salvation is that? Let me show you something. Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in the heart that God has raised him from the dead, that shall be saved. So, are you going to confess that Jesus was raised from the dead? At that time, was Zacchaeus? Has he died? Has he died? Or is this not the Bible? Did Zacchaeus confess that Jesus was raised from the dead? Colossians 1.14. 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Redeemed through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sin. Through his blood. This is through his blood alone. Not through anything else. Through his blood we had, we were redeemed and saved. Through his blood alone. And I want to remind us that sons of God, we are not under the laws of Moses. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And in Galatians 5, 18, say, but if you, are, if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law of Moses. We are not under the Old Testament. We are not. We are under the Testament of grace. Where grace brings us salvation. Where our faith is in the living Son of God. Where the blood speaks for us. There's no salvation in any other. There's no other name given to us by which we are saved. There's nothing you will do to be saved that atones for your sin except the blood of Jesus Christ. Then they quote John the Baptist and his baptism of repentance. Let's read it. And confession of sins. Because this is what we quote. And then we, we belate to the work of the cross. And they exalt the work of men. What the devil did to Adam and Eve, say, has God said, don't listen to him. When God says, this grace is gift, this salvation is a gift of God, it's not by words. The devil said, no, 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 you have to do some works, don't listen to him. He hasn't changed, it's the same method. Okay, look at Matthew 3, 6. And we are baptized in him, in Jordan, confessing their sins. Then they come and say, yep, 
Because you see, you, have to, you must repent and confess your sins so that you are now ready to be saved. So they can't beg Jesus as confessed now. You have to show, you have to show remorse. How can you be saved without your showing? With everything you did? No, no. So they now beg Jesus to save you. Falsehood. Second Corinthians 5:19-21. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. So why are you counting it? What are you confessing there? God said, I'm not counting it because the blood, the blood has been shed and atoned for your sin. He said, the covenant, your sins and iniquity I remember no more. There's an atonement for you. There's a mediator standing for you. Not counting purposes against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Tell them I'm not counting their sins. What are they confessing when God is not counting it? And we teach this thing. So we are Christ's ambassadors. This is the message. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God as you are. Just come. Don't have to do anything. Just come. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. So that he could make you right with God through Christ. Say, come. Christ has been offered as offering. For your sin. The penalty of your sin has been paid. God laid our iniquity on him. Come. Oh no. We won't tell them that. Because the devil said to Adam, has God said, don't listen to him. No, we won't listen to God. What, what will we listen to? Our own understanding. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Once you believe, you are baptized. You are saved. Now, look, let's look at Acts 9. You see, you have to go through this thing because these things are realities that is going on in the body of Christ. Paul said, he said, challenge those things. All it takes for evil to spread is for good men to keep quiet. I'm not saying that we are better than anybody. No, it's just a proverb they use. I'm not saying that I'm better than anybody. That's, a proof. That's what they say. Acts 19 verse 1. And it came to pass... That why Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto him, John's baptism, because their pastor Apollos didn't know more. Apollos was their pastor. He didn't know. He didn't, know the baptism of, he didn't know the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you read the chapter before, you know that Apollos were their pastor. So, and he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto, unto John's baptism. Then he said, they said, Paul, John verily now baptized with the baptism of repentance, but he told you something. While he was doing that, he told you about somebody coming. He told you something. He said, saying unto the people that they should believe on him. Something is coming. When he comes, believe on him. We should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. 
He said, yeah, he was, when he was doing that baptism of repentance, you are confessing, he was telling you people that a new dispensation is coming. There is somebody coming. You should believe on him. It's faith in him that will give you salvation now. You should believe on him. When they had this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, Paul did the real baptism for them. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So we need to teach believers in the Lord Jesus Christ this truth about salvation. Get them grounded in it so they can preach accurately and do the work of the ministry. That's what the scripture is saying. The knowledge of the Son of God. 1 John 4, 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he's in God. Why don't we just believe what God said? Are we going to do like Adam and Eve? The devil said, God said, he said, yes, but don't do it like that. 1 John 5, 5 verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is Christ is born of God. Did you see any other condition put there? John said, he's coming. All you need to do, believe in him. Just believe in him. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begot, begot loveth him also that is begotten of God. Verse 11. And this is the record that God has given. This is God's record. People. That God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Listen to God's record. This is the record that God had given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Twelve. He that had the son had life. And he that had not the son of God had no life. Then he continued verse 13. He says, these things have I written unto you that believe. John said, believe in him. He's coming. He that believeth is now baptized. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may Believe on the name of the Son of God. Continue to believe. Have you believed in the name of the Son of God? Yeah, I say you have eternal life. This is the record of God. But the devil will say no. Has God said? Say yeah. God says say, no. Don't listen to God. He has not changed this method. From Adam and Eve, that's what he does today. Watch your life. God says, you need my spirit to lead you. He said, no, you don't have to. You know, this is better for you. You don't have to. That is, that's the foundation of false doctrine. It's always taking us out of faith in Christ to faith in, the, in, in human beings. Check it everywhere. Jesus said to Peter, this man has gotten permission to sift your faith in me. See, this is your faith in me. He will sift it. And you are going to deny me. Because all he's after is that faith in me. Because that faith in me gives you victory. Yeah, it gives you victory. That faith in me sanctifies you. Those that believe in me will never be put to shame. So he attacks it, attacks it, attacks it. John 3, 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe again, believe it in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe in him? Yeah. Believe that Jesus is the son of God. The Bible says you are good to go. Seventeen. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God, Jesus didn't come to condemn us and tell us, you know, you did this, you did this. It's not counting sins. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. How many times did you see the word believe, 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 believe being repeated? So this is uniting Christians around the same accurate revelation of Jesus Christ. It is achieved by teaching scripture approved, scripture approved revelation about Christ as found in the gospel of grace. So everybody knows that when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become part of his body. So that if you have believed and I believe, you believe that I believe. It doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter how you worship. It doesn't matter what language you use. It doesn't matter your church structure, whatever, whatever, whatever. We are one in Christ by that common faith. So we can fellowship when we come together. Even though we have different colors and we may not even understand everything at the same time. But that one faith, that common faith binds us together. Because that's how we got saved. Verses 15 to 16. He said, instead, now, we, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Christ makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work. Why the word special? What, your, what is your gifting may not be my gift. It's special to you. It's peculiar to you. Everybody has his own gifting. That's why it's special, because it's not common. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You know, the Lord spoke to me one time. He said, I want you to start Believer's Fellowship. He said, he said the pattern the churches use is not my pattern in the Bible. I said, really? He said, no. He said, read the scripture. He gave me this scripture. He said, the church is supposed to be where every part is contributing. He said, didn't you read the Corinthian church? When they come together, some have this, some have this, some have doctrine, some have this one. He said, every part, not one man has all the revelation. Every part is contributing. There is no part that is insignificant. Every part is Not that everybody is talking at the same time, but you have something. Sunday school you are teaching. In the Sunday school, you make contribution. In the life center, you make a contribution. You know, in the women's, this you make contribution. Sometimes you talk. Sometimes you give what God gave you. In the, in, you know, in the RG, you give what God gave you. If you. You know, there's something you bring. As you bring it, all of us are benefiting. All of us are hearing from you. You say, staff, believers, fellowship. Give them opportunity. Let them talk. You say, let them talk what I teach them. You say, let them, let them contribute. But it told us that this truth needs to be taught in love with patience. Because people, don't, people are not going to understand everything you are teaching at they go. A teacher must be patient. 
The Bible says, servant of the Lord must not uh, strive. You can't do this with strife and anger and complaint. You have to be patient. Speaking the truth in love. And we too, as people confront us, challenging our faith, if we have to answer, we answer in love. We can't be angry and throwing tantrums. You can't do that. So now in verses 17 to 19, Paul threw more light on the old life. He told us this life we had before was as a result of ignorance. We didn't know Jesus. Number two, we didn't have the life of God. So we're walking in spiritually blindness. And because of that, we could do things without, we didn't have any more uh, feelings. We could just do things. It's called lasciviousness. You know, lasciviousness is, it's when you, you know, when you were doing something and you're hiding it. But when you, lasciviousness is you're doing it and you're proud of it. When you are committing iniquity and doing it and you're so proud, it's called lasciviousness. Ephesians 4, 7. For this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. See, we used to walk like that now. 18. Having their understanding darkened. You see why they are doing this? They think that what they are doing is wisdom. But it's foolishness. Darkened. Being alienated from the life of God. See, they don't have the life of God. But Jesus said, I came that you have life and have it more abundantly. Because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. That's why they do all manner of iniquity and think it's right. They think it's right. They think... I read one testimony about a young boy, one young boy, I think I sent it to you, one young boy that was in, was in drugs and how he killed somebody and in prison he began to think about life. He said, you know, he said, choices. He said, I didn't have to make that choice. He began, very, that testimony really touched me. I heard the Lord spoke to him and how the Lord saved him. And how he began to present ministry. Right there. 22-year-old young man. Every, he said every day, three times a day service. Getting people healed. Miracles everywhere. Preaching to, preaching to prisoners. And then the Lord said, I'm bringing you up. He was given 20 years, but the Lord reduced it to 10. And then he reduced his father to 6. And brought him up. You know, so he was talking about the choice. That he made that choice thinking it was the best. Why? He had blindness of his heart. And that's why we should be compassionate with people. Because what they are, Jesus said, they don't know what they're doing. We shouldn't be angry and, be, you know, throwing tantrums. He said, we speak this truth in love. You know? He said, we should no longer walk like that. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to walk all on cleanness and greediness. They have no feeling, no shame. It's, it's, more, it's, it's fashion. It's mainstream. <laughs> People are naked. They think it's fashion. They think it's wonderful. Awesome because they're naked. They think it's wow. You know, they call it fashion. And they pay a lot of money to buy that nonsense. They think because they do. The Bible says they're walking in the blindness of their heart. They, they are blind. They don't see what they're doing. They don't have the life of God. They don't have Christ, the light of the world. So what do you expect? People, do you know? Let me talk to us. Do you know? You need to understand 
salvation of the world. You know, sometimes we think we are good. No. <laughs> we think, you know, I'm not so bad. No. Listen to me. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. You are not. Until you met Christ, you are not righteous. Nothing. You know, sometimes we think, you know, I wasn't so that bad. No, you are. All your righteousness is filthy rag. Everything you are doing there, filthy rag. Because it's flesh. Number two, all motives were wrong. And to be honest, we were really doing a lot of iniquity. Hiding, hypocrisy, deceit. Talk about being a slave to sin. Until Christ came, we were all slaves to sin. You can't say, ah, I wasn't that bad. Just don't forget it. The scriptures said, there is no righteous, no, not one. All the things you think you did were so good, God said it's all fitira. Without Christ, could you do anything? We didn't have Jesus, so what did you do? And after the Romans chapter 6, I think verse 20, it says, at that time, we were really not expected to do any good. How can a slave be saying I did something good? We are slaves of sin, and the devil, he said, we are walking under the spirit that walked the children of disobedience. And it's all part of pride to think, you know, I wasn't that so bad because you don't want to admit all the iniquities you did. No one was righteous. No, not one. No, not one. He said that our mouth is gaping mouth of iniquity, producing poison, lying, lying, lying deceit. Our motive full of selfishness. So he said, this is the life we had before. And but as a Christian, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be going back there. And then it's like, you know, going to what you vomited and going to lick it back. Then the new life is characterized now by knowledge. The, the old life was out of ignorance, had no, had no God in him, no life of Christ in him, was walking in darkness. So it's bringing us to see who we are now in Christ in practical terms. This is what we used to be, and this is what we are now. Verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. You see, it brings this process, this top, this fact about learning, about knowing Christ. You see, through the knowledge of Christ. It brings it back here, verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. He said, if you've come to Christ, he teaches you something different. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in See, that's why knowledge of Christ is so important. The Holy Spirit came to reveal Jesus to us. Verse 22, that you put up, he said, when you hear Christ, he will show you your new nature. The new you. The work of the grace, of grace on the cross, what he did for you. He will show you that sin is no more your nature. It's no more your master. You're different now. You know? And they put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt. According to the deceitful law, see, so that, that life you were living before was deceit. <laughs> he, he, you know, he, he, thought, he thought it was fashionable. You thought it was, man, this is, man. And you have your peers who will clap for you. And then you have the devil also clapping for you. He said it's lustful because it's deceitful. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
that will put on the new man. Say, because, hey, change the way you see yourself. You are a new person. If you come to Christ, he will reveal you to you. He will reveal what he did. He's the light of the world. He will enlighten you. The spirit of Christ, he said, you have this anointing, you have the spirit will teach you things. He, he said, you have received the spirit that has been given to you so you know the things that are freely given to you. That spirit is the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. He will reveal it to you. You are not that person you used to be. There's a new person here. That's who you are. You know? He said, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put up the Put on now the, the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Put it, this is you are. Remember, see who you are. You, that's a, you are created anew in true righteousness and holiness. And Ephesians 4.23 says the same. So that's the same. I mean, let me read it in New Living Translation. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. May you, you didn't become this because you did this, you didn't do that. God created you like that. God created you like that. You didn't behave yourself into that status. God took your own nature, took it away, and created you to be like him. Now you're not like the former person. Former person was without God, didn't have the life of God, so he was alienated from the life of God, was ignorant. Now you have the life of God, created in true righteousness and holiness to be like God, the gracious work of God in our lives. I don't know, I was preaching in a dream a few days ago. I was preaching this in a dream, and I had a cloth. I mean, I'm telling you, I had a cloth. I said to them, you, you wear this thing like you wear this. You put off the old one. You, there's no, you have nothing to do with the old cloth. I had this cloth. I said, you wear it. I, I still remember the way it was. I said, you wear this thing. You wear it, you know. This is who you are. This old cloth, you, you have nothing to do with it. It goes. This is a new cloth. You wear it. You wear Christ. Put it on. In a dream. I didn't know I would teach it today. <laughs> so it, it says, you have not so learned Christ. Paul repeats this idea of learning from Christ in whom the truth is. Not the laws of Moses in whom the truth is. This proves the point that he has been making that knowledge of Christ is key to maturity. You know who you are. Understand salvation. Understand who God is to you. God is your father. Understand your relationship with God is based on your faith in Christ. Understand who Christ is to you and who you are to him. The things he says are yours, it's yours. The things you say you can do, you can do. Understand the, the privileges you have, the authorities you have. You grow in this, you are granted in them. So when you are tested in them, you rise up with a winning spirit, with a, with a conquering spirit. You face it with a conquering spirit. You want to know what a conquering spirit is like? Look at David. He showed up with a conquering spirit, not a whimpering spirit like Saul. He showed up with a conquering spirit. You can't conquer unless you rise with the conquering spirit of faith. That's how it works. You can't. You are defeated first in your mind before you go there. You come with it because you know in whom you believe. Job, Job said, I know in who I believe. I'm not going to stagger that this thing. And I'm going to worship God. I'm going to. That's a conquering spirit. That's a conquering spirit, people. Because the enemy will try and say, did he say, look at your life. 
Did he say, that was not true. Look at your life. He said, shut up, devil. You're a liar. A conquering spirit. You're a liar. I know you whom I believe. Get out of here. That's a conquering spirit. He will always tell you, has God said? Did God say you are healed? You're not. Though. Look at you. He's, he hasn't changed. That's metal using it everywhere. And it's devastating a lot of people. That's why the scriptures say don't walk by sight because he will take your eyes off of Christ and make you look at circumstances. Has God said? He said, yeah, I said, but you can't see it now. Okay, take your eyes off of it. What God said, use your brain. It makes sense. Plan it. Praise the Lord. Let me read Paul's example and we'll close with that. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Look at how Paul got transformed. So we have stopped evaluating others from human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Paul said, yeah, I'm a new person. I learned it in Christ. The truth is in him. I'm created righteous, holy. I'm different from what I used to be. I have life. I have life. I have Christ in me. Are you kidding me? The greater one is in me than he that is the world. So he said, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's where your concrete spirit begins. Sin cannot dominate me. Are, are you kidding me? Will not dominate you. What you allow remains. What you disallow stops. I'm telling you, what you allow rules you. What you disallow, if you rise up in conquering spirit, you can stop all those things. Because you can do all things through Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5.14. Either way, Christ's love now controls us. Because we have a new life. The life of Christ is love. It's controlling me. I have a new nature. My nature is love. Control since we believe that Christ died for us. We also believe now that we have all died to our old life. He died for us. And because he died, we died with him. We rose with him. So we have died to our old life now. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, look at what he said, will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we died with him. We rose with his, his new life, which is his life. And his life is not selfish, it's love. So we're not living for ourselves no more. We're living for him. And his love controls us. And that's Christianity. It's not Ten Commandments. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, don't need the laws. It's God is bigger than law. You have something more powerful than the law. And the Bible says, don't be led like, like moose by the news. <laughs> no. No, that's not our portion. We are sons of God. Praise the Lord. Okay, I'll stop here. My time is up. Uh, Thursday, we try and finish it and, and see if we finish it, finish chapter 5. I'm really rushing because I want to get to the book of Hebrew. Man, we're going from here to, it's amazing. I can't wait. book of Hebrew is full of revelation. I'm so excited that after this, and the Lord said, you go to the book of Hebrew. And after Hebrew, I want you to go back to Romans. Now we're going to follow the guidance of the Spirit of God. So we'll go to Hebrew as soon as we finish this. Hebrew is, man, you, need, you want to eat it. It's amazing. That's where you understand the power of the blood. Understand the pursuit of Jesus. Man, it's amazing revelation. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you for what you've taught us today. So grateful. 
so grateful that we can rise with a conquering spirit and reign on earth. You told us we can disallow things. Of course we can. What will, if, we, if we allow them, they keep happening. Because you have given us the privilege as sons of God to reign on earth in Christ. It's our place of privilege. We are not slaves to anything. We are not. The only principalities and powers they understand how to stand that we are the sons of God. We carry your spirit in us. When they see us, they, they, they are afraid. They shake. Because the Bible says when they remember God, they shake. When they see God in us, they shake. Father, thank you. We are tasting your grace. Tasting how gracious you are. How loving that you give us this privileged position. Privileged position. Wow. Privileged position. As sons and daughters of the living God. You handed us the keys of heaven to operate your kingdom here on earth. Father, we are your ambassadors. Glory. You told us to teach people this thing so that they are grounded and rooted in them. So they can rise and live it out. And through that, our joy will be full and your name be glorified. Thank you again, merciful Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.